Hi, and welcome to the very first episode of ULI Toronto's Electric Cities podcast. I'm Jeremy Warson, and I'm delighted to host this new podcast series about land development in the greater Toronto region. Over the next year, I'll be interviewing guests from a wide variety of disciplines to learn more about their work and its impact on land development, the challenges they face, and the opportunities they see on the horizon. The topic for this first episode is about the condo market, which has been so pivotal in the growth of our region and one in which just about everyone has an opinion. With me today to talk about the condo market is Mimi Ng. Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Menke's Development. Mimi brings over 20 years experience in the real estate industry, primarily in market research and analysis, product development, marketing, and sales. Mimi, it's a pleasure to speak with you today. Hi, Jeremy. I'm so happy to be your very first guest. Yeah, this is terrific. So the condo market, um, when you think about urban growth, every year we're seeing more and more condo buildings sprouting up almost it seems as if there's one new announcement every other day (laughs) and uh, it is really quite remarkable how long has this been going on would you say this pace of development I mean this has been going on since the late 90s we've been really lucky that we've had this um, like there's a whole generation of our peers in the marketplace uh, in the industry who've actually never seen the downside of the market like we, you and I kind of graduated around the same time. I'm not going to mention what year, <laughs> but um, we're just part of that generation that has come into the market and the industry at a time when uh, every year the real estate values keep improving and the market keeps going up. And you're definitely right. Everybody does have an opinion about the condo market. And um, I think it's because people just can't comprehend how there could be so much development and who's living in these buildings. But, you know, you walk around at night and they're all the lights are on. There's people everywhere. Um, but definitely any friends I have who come from out of town, the first thing they say to me is, is, is what's with all these cranes in the sky? Yeah, like, why right. Why do you have so much development? Like, how, how is this possible? And what's your answer to all that? I think I, I always say, you know, like Toronto is a growing, thriving economic region. Like, people want to live here. Um, like, oftentimes, because I used to live downtown, like everybody would always say, why is there so much action downtown? But I would say, you know, downtown, our downtown is incredibly livable. People want to live here. And, you know, the bigger story about the condo market in Toronto is that, like you said, there's activity across the whole region. So we've been really good as a development industry at kind of um, creating condo sites, not just in one special neighborhood. It's not like Chicago or New York where there's only one part of town where you see development. It's literally across the entire GTA. So whether it's Burlington, Oakville, Ajax, you know, now in Vaughan City Center where there's a lot of action, Mississauga City Center, North York City Center, downtown, all these neighborhoods. Like so beaches, Cabbage Town, like, like even pockets like Forest Hill, you're seeing a whole really diverse range of product, whether it's a loft conversion, you know, greenfield development, you know, parking lots in the city, everything's kind of like 
been like developed or actively has been developed and it's and it's that diversity that I think people don't realize that we have a whole host of submarkets where there is demand to live mm-hmm. and condos are still the most affordable housing option mm-hmm. for home ownership so if you want to get into the market condos are your first step now mm-hmm. so looking back on 2017 has that been any different than the pace that we've seen in the last 20 years? Is there anything unique about 2017 in terms of the condo market? I mean, 17 was a real roller coaster for the housing market overall. I like to talk about how, um, you know, the low-rise housing industry and the high-rise condo market were the tale of two different markets. Um, You know, we started off the year really strong with this really incredibly strong demand in face of very limited supply right at the beginning in January, February. And um, in the low-rise sector, you actually saw uh, people jumping into the market in what was kind of this FOMO, to use a, you know, FOMO, FOMO, street lingo term of fear of missing out kind of activity where people were jumping in as if they thought that the market, like they had to get in now or there was no chance to. And, you know, it's going to sound strange as a developer to be saying this, but actually that wasn't a healthy thing. Like you're, when people are starting to jump into the market in this really speculative or undisciplined manner, that's not good for anybody. And so the low rise market was just on this, a bit of a runaway runaway train of price escalation that was, quite honestly scary to see and really nobody kind of understood how where it was going to end and what was happening and um and then we saw the government step in mm-hmm. with the new um housing affordability regulations or uh act and um and that really was um you know a shock to the system like essentially it disrupted what was happening in the market at that moment and allowed the market to kind of uh come back to a new equilibrium. So what was it that shocked the system that, that from that, uh, that, that policy that was implemented? It was in the spring, right? Right. right. I think it was about April. Yeah. Um, it really was just the, the act of the provincial government making an announcement saying, here are these 12 measures we're introducing mm-hmm. um, because we think that there's an affordability issue. You know what? There was so much. It made everybody take a pause. Everyone in the marketplace, from the average consumer, you know, you know, my mom who doesn't <laughs> not even is not even in the market, but said, you know, there's something happening in the housing market. Like, you know, to the industry, everybody had to just pause and process and say, okay, what does this all mean? And so it was actually a good thing in that it did shock the system mm-hmm. and put the market on pause and let pe- everybody assess where are we at. Um, over the long term, did, has it fundamentally changed the market in terms of the supply constraints mm-hmm. and really kind of paved the way towards greater affordability? I actually don't think that's necessarily the case. But if the government's intention at that time was to stop the escal- like very, very rapid escalation in the single-family housing sector, it did serve to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so since then, we actually saw the market kind of definitely on the housing side come to, um, we saw prices decrease, but that's relative to kind of a very frenzied high high numbers in the spring. And are you talking about the low rise or are you talking about condo high rise? Uh, we're talking all about segments? We're talking about low rise primarily. Right. We saw prices come back, come back down. Um, they're still high overall. The market still for 2017 finished up, you know, 
on average higher than where it was mm-hmm. with an increase. But just um, I think it just helped the market kind of reset itself. Um, so that's the low rise story. But the high rise market, very interestingly, through the entire year, uh, even through the uh, provincial announcement, has kind of remained on a very, very strong tear. Like in the resale side of things, you did see some ac- action kind of um, cool off a bit after the spring because people were just not sure what they were doing. They were like, you know what, if I have if I, if I have a unit, I don't have to list it right now. You saw the market, the resale market take a bit of a break when people, as people were trying to understand what their next move should be. On the pre-construction side, the market just continued to just move so strongly. I um, Before I came here today, I actually gave Urbanation a call and just asked them, you know, what they thought the numbers would be for so the, who for is the Urbanation? year. So Urbanation is... Um, a firm, a market research firm that tracks, that's been tracking the GTA condo market since 1981. Right. Okay. Um, and so they track it on a quarterly basis, and their numbers aren't out yet. They're not. They haven't fully reported for the end of 17 yet because they're actually still compiling and gathering the the information. But their estimate is that we're going to end up for t- 2017 at 34 to 35,000 new pre-construction condo sales. Okay, so you you seem uh, quite surprised by that. How does that compare to past years? I knew the market was doing really well last year, and I knew it was a record. I just didn't think it was going to be quite that big a number. So to put it in context, the previous record for pre-construction sales for condos was 28,000, which was actually set in 2016. Okay, and this is GTA. This is, is GTA. Right? Okay. So now you're seeing a 20 to 25% increase in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, well, probably by the time this pro- podcast is, shortly after this podcast is posted, we'll probably know the, the exact number. Right. But, um, so yeah, so there, but, the, but generally it's, you know, we saw just a remarkable number of condo sales in pre-construction last so year. So again, is that because we had this frenzy of buying activity at the beginning part of the year where prices were escalating at, at an astronomical rate at the low-rise level? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the high-rise condos, we didn't see that kind of frenzy. And then once all this this shift took place, is it the, the low-rise buyers who were then priced out of the market or who tried to recalibrate, started looking at condos as an alternative housing choice? Or is there something else to that? In my opinion, the low-rise buyers that exit the market after the spring, those are people who are speculators. Those are people who probably shouldn't have been in the market in the first place. uh, And they were jumping in in a really undisciplined manner. The condo market, you know, first off, it, it is the affordability factor. As I said before, it's the lowest common denominator. So anyone who wants to get into housing ownership, they have to, they're going in condo first. Um, part of it is, is just that we saw, as an industry, we actually released a, f- a, a large number of projects across the board. So across 905-416, you saw a lot of really good sites being launched to the market. So a lot of great sites downtown Toronto, you know, in an entertainment district, at Young and Dundas on the old world's biggest bookstore site, you know, great little niche projects in Oakville and Burlington and markets that actually have seen pent up demand for people who want to transition to condo living, whether it's empty nesters or first time buyers. Um, you know, we saw a ton of action even in in Ajax uh, and 
in the Vaughn City Center, there's a couple of really big projects that saw a ton of uh, a ton of um, sales. Uh, a lot of this because of the you know the new subway this new subway line. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is also that um, you know there's still a lack of supply in the uh, in the condo market overall. You mean lack of supply of of land or just lack of supply of units? Lack of supply of of sites is kind of, is probably looming in the future for us because it's getting harder and harder to get sites rezoned and into the market quickly enough. I think that there is. I'm just thinking about it. We just saw like, I guess the bigger factor is that in the condo market on the pre-construction side. Like, not everybody likes to talk about it, but we do have an investor component. And I should stress, it's investors who are long-term investors versus speculators, which is what we were seeing in the low-rise market. So if you talk to anybody who's been trying to find a rental apartment (laughs) in the city, like, the rental market has been on fire. Mm -hmm. And that was part of the issues in the rental market was what started to spark the Ontario government to make changes Mm -hmm. and bring bring in some of those new policies in the spring last year. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like, before... Like anecdotally, I could say a downtown one bedroom in Toronto would be fifteen hundred to sixteen hundred dollars a month. Mm-hmm. That's for you know a good quality newish building. Um, now that's two thousand dollars a month. Like you, it's hard to find a one yeah. bedroom in the city under two thousand dollars a month. Uh, two thousand dollars a month for an for a you know a good quality rental. Um, which is more more often than not in a rent in a condo building, because there's no as we know there's no purpose built there's very little purpose built rental development happening, so everyone so the investor condo market investor owned condos have stepped in as the de facto rental supply mm-hmm. in the marketplace, rents are so strong right now, you know investors really see condos as such a good in- investment vehicle, and we're not talking about like people who are professional investors we're talking about you know, mom and pops who are buying for their kids who are going to eventually, like, hopefully live in that condo when they get a full-time job or when they start going to school downtown, or just people who just want to diversify. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I look at my quarterly RSP statements, and I don't see much action there when it's mutual funds. Yeah. I'd much rather put some money in a, in a real estate, in real estate and, you know, build some equity in that. Yeah. So investors really still see condos as a big a big vehicle, and they're looking and they're looking at it over the long term. So aside from the investors, has the buyer profile changed over the years? Where you know in the past it maybe predominantly used to be singles, couples, empty nesters. Is that still the same, or has that um, diversified somewhat? I mean, this the first-time buyer, the young couple or single person who's buying for the first time, um, and empty nesters are still very definite segments of the marketplace. I think the big, the um, the big segment of the market that's really grown that we need to cater to or start to look after is what I call move-up buyers, and those are people who already live in condos. Um, who are looking to upgrade. So they're looking to get into a bigger unit or a newer unit with more features or better amenities. I mean, we have a whole generation of people who live in condos Mm -hmm. right now who just need more space, quite factually. And instead of looking for a low-rise unit, 
they're now have that they now have their sights set on a larger condo unit. Is it because that's all they can afford, or it's because they're used to living in a in a condo environment? It's a function of both. Mm-hmm. I think that um, you know before the typical kind of uh, story would have been you buy a condo, you live in there for two to five years, and you jump into a townhouse, and then you jump into a house house house. Uh, and now you're seeing, we're seeing a lot of people decide, you know what, I love living in a condo. I love being able to lock the door and go away on vacation, not think about anything, not think about maintenance. I love living downtown or in certain pockets of the city. And so I just need more space. Mm-hmm. I would just love to have an extra bedroom. So, or live in a bigger building with a better gym. Like mm-hmm. people start talking about that or, and you know, so that move up buyer is a big component of the market that, you know, we, hear about anecdotally and people definitely come into our sales offices talking about you know I already live in a condo I love the lifestyle I want to move up and do and there and factually there are definitely some people who just can't afford to like they if you're talking about um, you know even though the low-rise market has cooled off a bit prices are still are still high relatively speaking like you're if you're saying that a 30-foot lot somewhere in a new subdivision is a million and a half starting price that's out of the reach for a lot of people. And you're talking about the commuting issue too. And, you know, like we always talk about jokingly to people, like the easiest way to start a conversation at the beginning of a meeting is to say, how long did it take you to get here? I mean, commuting and time is such a big factor in consuming someone, so many people's lives that um, I think people do think to themselves, you know what, what's the trade-off between commuting versus maybe living in a smaller space that um, is a is better location-wise for me from in terms of where I work. Well, let me just, yeah, on that point about space, I'm, I'm curious whether Menke's has, has altered their, the, uh, the design of their buildings over time to respond to change in demand or maybe change in technology or, or change in design trends. Can you talk a little bit about how space has changed over time in terms mm-hmm. of the, the building design? You know, one of the big things that we started to notice even back 10 years ago when we were um, kind of uh, visiting our completed projects and seeing who was living there was we really were starting to see um, families with young kids. And that's another kind of cohort that's growing in the marketplace. And that has, there's been a lot of dialogue about that in the past couple of years. We started to see a lot of people with young children and trying to figure out, you know, like, you know, how to, how to make, you know, a regular condo work for them and taking advantage of all the amenities in a building like how do they how does that work for a young family and so we really start to think about okay how can we design these buildings w- to kind of cater to that market and not alienate the people that the traditional market that we're thinking about whether it's like you know footloose and fancy free singles and couples and you know what's what how do you how do you do that and you know and we, I think you know, we were one of the first developers, I think we were the first one to talk about um, doing a kid's playroom okay. um, that was a design that we, it's actually in a building that we uh, called the Eglinton that is being built right now and is going to be delivering probably in a, about 18 months. Uh, we introduced the idea of a kid's playroom, indoor playroom, and actually um, we just finished last year um, a new project called Harbor Plaza, which is right down by the Air Canada Center in the South Core District. And we started selling that project in 2013. Um, so we didn't actually 
entertain the idea of kids' amenities at that time or family-friendly amenities. Um, but after the fact, after we had sold and started construction and we looked, at, we took a harder look at all the amenity spaces we were providing because it's, it's two towers with about 1,300 units. It's, it's a very, Huge. very yeah. big community and it's right on the path system. So it's a great location. And we certainly kind of thought, you know, young professionals are going to live here. But we do have some big units there. We have like 1,100 square foot, three bedroom units there. And, and, and kind of what we kind of knew about what our building demographics were, we thought, you know what, over time, this building is going to change. There are going to be people with families. And because we just anecdotally, we talk to people and they say, you know what, I would, I really don't want to leave. I don't want to leave this neighborhood. I love living here. I just need a bigger suite. And so we actually um, took some space in the uh, Amani area and we actually created an outdoor kids play area as well as an indoor kids play area um, specifically for that purpose so that we could kind of um, uh, cater to that group Uh, because we just started to realize you know you have people trying to do um, kids parties or entertain like play dates and they're bringing their kids to this immaculately designed party room that's meant to host a cocktail reception and you've got kids jumping all over the place and potentially damaging damaging things and possibly hurting themselves and we were thought okay this, there's a better way about doing this and and the, i think we started to realize we just have to create these spaces and eventually you know these buildings are living organisms like the population is going to ebb and flow and change over time we just have to make sure that the right facilities are there that people can take advantage of depending on how that population changes. Mm-hmm. And for our next community, which is um, the redevelopment of the LCBO site, LCBO site on the... Um, on Queen's Key. On Queen's Key <coughs> and the downtown waterfront, we're looking, we're taking a harder look at all those spaces and trying to figure out, you know, what we can do even with the suite designs. I mean, things like, like, you know, kids come with a lot of accessories. Like, they're small Small little human, strollers yeah. and everything. They're small little human beings, but they have a lot of stuff sure. associated with them. So strollers, like where do people put their strollers? Like, you know, if you lived in a house, you would, I've seen people like they throw it on their porch. Right. Like, um, you know, in a building, what do you do in a condo building? What do you do with like strollers? And, you know, and if you can, but if you p- provide the right sort of storage facilities um, in a suite or even uh, in the building, you know, then that just gives people much more flexibility. And if you give them more indoor spaces for, for kids' play areas, that means maybe they don't have to have so many kids' toys or things in their unit. So starting to think more out of the box that that's way. That's great. I mean, that's certainly something the city has been pushing for years to try to make these condo condominium communities more family-friendly so that you can um, not just be a single or a couple living in a condo, but actually raise a family in a condo. Um, so th- those kind of amenities sounds like um, it's something, it's a challenge, but something that's, that's worthwhile taking on. It is. I mean, you know, the, the condo market really is growing up. I mean, there's a ton of people who probably live right now in Queen West, King West, in one of those really cool buildings. And they're now coupling up. They're shacking up with partners, and they're getting dogs and cats together and having kids. And they don't want to le- leave that downtown lifestyle. They love they love where they live. Mm-hmm. They just need more space, mm-hmm. and they need more flexibility. And how do we, as a builder, deliver that flexibility so that they can like 
continue to evolve and not necessarily leave the building and have to move, you know, 10 miles away yeah. for that. So I'm also actually interested in the the, the new policies that are that have just been um, uh, legislated, and I and that would be the the new stress test for uninsured borrowers, the rising interest rates. There's been reforms to um, planning approvals um, and such. I'm just wondering whether all of these are are something that you're that you're tackling and you're thinking about and and how does that impact your marketing strategy i think it's a concern the mortgage stress test is definitely it's like the boogeyman in the room that everybody talks about and is not exactly sure what the impact is like they all everyone knows that we're kind of scared of it but we're not sure exactly how scary it will be at the end of the day um i know a lot of um you know, a lot of real estate agents and uh, they've all been telling their clients to hurry up and try and get, you know, pre-approval done now or get some sort of bank commitment letter before before the end of 2017. That was what they were all saying. Um, I think that the stress test, overall, it's a good thing. You know what? We want a healthy, balanced market. Mm-hmm. We don't want speculation. We don't want irresponsible buying behavior. That's not good for anyone. Right. I think the stress test, if it does its if it does what it's intended to do, which is to um, edge out um, buyers that are on the riskier profile side, that's not a bad thing. I think that the market overall will take it in stride. It's a little more scrutiny, but most of the buyers out there can handle a little more scrutiny. Hmm. I think that's, fundamentally, I don't think we're gonna see a big shift necessarily chalked up to that pure factor. I think interest rates actually have a much bigger impact. Like a one point increase makes a big difference to a lot of people out there. Mm-hmm. Um, not just when, in, not just for people who are just about to buy, but just even people who are already in the market with mortgages that are set to renew. Yeah, That will have a bigger impact. So um, then what's your outlook for 2018 with all this coming down? I think that, I think 2018 is actually still going to be pretty healthy. I think it's the longer timeline into the 2019-2020 timeframe where you might see the market start to tighten up and at the, at the same time, supply is going to become a bigger and bigger issue. You'd asked me earlier about OMB reform. I mean, in general out there, it's getting harder to, it feels like there's more and more barriers towards development or getting a site from you know, from the time that you purchase a property to getting it rezoned, to getting it designed and putting it on the market and then building it and then finally delivering it. Don't forget, it's it's not like it happens instantaneously. This is a five-year process minimum for a lot of these sites to go from just a piece of dirt that you purchased to finally having a shiny new building at the end of the cycle that you get to hand keys to people. Right. It's, um, so there's... It's just, you know, there's no there's no more clean sites out there. No easy sites are left. Um, I think Toronto was an interesting kind of city where before there was a lot of empty parking lots that you could go and there was tons of development opportunities. Like I think, I remember when we used to go see um, a baseball game or a basketball game or a hockey game and down in the South Core, there's all these empty parking lots that you could walk past and people yeah. were parking in. There's nothing like that anymore. There's no lots. Right, and so developers have to get a lot more creative with the sites that are in front of them. 
Yes. Um, and obviously have deep pockets to to afford some of those prime sites. Yeah, I think people are some people are going to be caught off guard at how like not a lot of these sites now that are out there have a lot of hair. Like there's heritage issues. There's adjacent land use uh, landowners or you know uses that are difficult to kind of work like sites that have to be decommissioned, all sorts of issues that people have to work through that they might not really have accounted for when they first purchase a site. And so it's going to take them a lot longer to bring that site to market than I think they perform it for or assumed in their calculations. And and time is a killer on the on these uh on these uh performance. Okay, well, that's you've covered a lot there, actually. <laughs> uh, it's always great to speak to someone who is right in the middle of that industry, and Menkes is one of the, the premier developers, mm-hmm. um, not just in, in downtown Toronto, but in various parts of um, the GTA. Mm-hmm. And to get that kind of insight is, is really helpful. So thanks again, Mimi, for, for stopping in to, to shed light on this industry. No, it's been, it's been wonderful having a chat and look forward to... You know, we can do an annual chat to check in. An annual chat on the (laughs) condo market. Okay, thanks.